0: Good morning, everyone. This is Manuel Arciniegas, Interim Director at the Andrews Family Fund, and I'm very excited today to be on the phone and in community with Monique Miles who is coming to us from the Aspen Institute Forum for Community Solutions. How are you doing today,
1: Monique? I am doing great, Manuela. It is a real honor and privilege to be here and having this conversation with you today.
0: So very excited that we get to chat. I attended your convening last fall and was absolutely amazed by the energy and the collaboration and the brilliance of all of those folks that you brought together in Philadelphia. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what that convening was?
1: So our national network now is comprised of 29 community-based grantee partners that are bringing together cross-system and cross-sector leaders to improve education and career outcomes for young people between the ages of 16 to 24 who are out of school and out of work defined as opportunity youth. And so the convening you're referring to took place in Philadelphia this past April, and that was an opportunity to bring our national network together in Philadelphia so that as a national learning community, we could examine. The full range of solutions across the opportunity youth ecosystem in Philadelphia. So that meant that we were able to look at some of the best in class community based programs that are getting to better education and career outcomes for young people, like Youth Build Philadelphia. We also visited with the local community college, in addition to a suite of workforce partners as well. At the same time, we were able to hear from system leaders across the city of Philadelphia. So we had an opening plenary that went deep on justice reform where we heard from the current DA who is revolutionizing that role and really looking at how race has had an enlarged impact in the outcomes, especially that young people of color experience as it relates to being reprimanded to the justice system. And we also heard from Defender Association, in addition to several other community-based leaders, including the former chief of police, that all together talked about how they're coming together as a city to improve justice outcomes with a specific focus on both race and gender, given, again, the disproportionate minority contact that has been experienced in the city. at the same time, we were able to convene a plenary of other system leaders that included, again, the head of the workforce system, the head of the post-secondary system, representatives from K through 12, to also talk about the city-wide agenda to reconnect more young people to education and careers. And so Philadelphia really was, again, about looking at the local suite of solutions that are working together in a broader ecosystem to improve outcomes for young people across the city of Philadelphia. I think most critically, we also were able to connect to young people themselves, that have a front and center role in self determining what is really important to them when they think about the vision that they hold for the future of the city of Philadelphia.
0: I love it. And I'm always so amazed by your forum's ability to bring together such diverse cross-sector partners and the really prominent role that youth voice plays and youth leadership at the convening. And so why is it important to bring these diverse system actors together? And why Philadelphia? How do the statistics and the numbers around Opportunity Youth and the barriers that they're facing, how does that relate to the barriers that young people are facing nationally? Absolutely. Mm,
1: Yeah, thank you for that. There's a couple of things, first and foremost, to talk about any of our work, especially our youth leadership, youth-led change work. I have to first and foremost give a shout out to Elena Nimoy, who is my colleague at Aspen, and Jamila Alexandra, who's my other colleague at Aspen that have done an extraordinary job of really building out a very specific agenda to support youth-led change. And then at the same time, it was important to go to Philadelphia because everything from the way that they have increased the high school graduation rate and have implemented a re-engagement Strategy to get many more young people on track. They've also built out a system to reconnect young people that now that they have been able to increase the high school graduation rate, they're working on post-secondary and career outcomes as a city. They have identified an entire strategy looking at how the opportunity the population is prioritized in the city's broader workforce development strategy, for example. They're one of the first cities to do that, to really have a city-wide commitment to a workforce development strategy. That has prioritized opportunity youth. And then at the same time, you know, Larry Krasner, for example, the DA who spoke at our convening, he has been identified nationally as one of the most progressive DAs in our country because he really has taken a race equity lens to improving outcomes for uh, historically marginalized populations that have been connected to the justice system and really looking to bring more equity and more justice to the outcomes that this population faces. So there are a suite of different types of progress the city has made to improve outcomes from this group, again, whether it's looking specifically at education outcomes, workforce outcomes, or the ways that young people are connected to the justice system or other systems. At the same time, the types of challenges that Philadelphia has experienced related to this population is exactly what we see on the national level. 4.6 million young people are out of school and out of work. We recognize that it is very much an economic opportunity for our country to not only get these young people back on track, but to really build our nation's economy. 4.6 million young people that we know of that are missing from participating and creating a better future for themselves, for their communities, for their families. So it is absolutely incumbent upon us to do the organization nationally and locally to help these young people get back on track, especially because we say all the time in our work that it's not the young people who are disconnected, it's the systems that are disconnected. And it's also really important to share that our systems, And even more critically, the policies that support the way that our systems function, have racial inequity, have gender inequity baked into them. So when we talk about organizing for system change, we very much at the same time have to hold a commitment to racial equity and gender equity and our organizing efforts so that we can really not just change the systems, but many of the beliefs that undergird the way that our systems operate. And it gives us the opportunity to go deep in place to look at how sort of piece by piece and then together as a collaborative whole, a city is able to address many of these issues that have impacted opportunity so that as a national network we can hold up those examples and consider how to bring those to other places to adapt and adopt some of the most effective approaches we've seen in Philadelphia.
0: It's absolutely exciting, and everything you shared is so rich, Monique, and I'm also thinking about some of our listeners who maybe are not steeped in the work every day and would, would love to see if you could maybe paint the picture for us. Who are the, generally the disconnected, in quotation marks, young people? Can you paint a picture of like a day in the life of a disconnected young person? What is their neighborhood like? What is their school like? What are the factors that lead to disconnection or to the systems not really being able to engage and retain them? and put them on the path towards secondary education or work opportunities? And then also, what are the other factors that they have to contend with? For example, in terms of involvement in the justice system that make it hard to return to community and access school or work?
1: Based on our work and connections to young people, we absolutely hold an asset frame when we think about not just who our young people are, but the value our young people hold in terms of having a vision for themselves, for their families and for their communities. And I think that's really important because the systems that are disconnected not our young people. So while I'm happy to walk through the barriers our young people face and even the a day in the life of a young person, I think it's really important to note that we are talking about our country's most talented young people, our country's young people who hold an incredible vision for themselves, for their communities and for their families. And again, young people that before they really have had the opportunity to achieve their dreams have been impacted by historical policies and systems that have served to disconnect generations from opportunity in this country. So that's just, that's really important framing in context. But again, to just give you a sense of who these young people are. So we know, again, that nationally, there are 4.6 million young people who are out of school and out of work. And when we start to break that down by race and gender, we know that about 9.4% of disconnected young people are white. We know that about 13.2% are Latino. We know that 17 Point nine percent are Black, African-American, and we know that 239 essentially 24%, are Native American youth. That's really important because when we talk about strategies that work to reconnect young people, that's the reason why race and culture and even gender play a critical role in the strategies that we deploy. And one of the frames we hold in our work is target universalism, which basically says that you can set universal goals to reconnect young people, but then you must target the strategies to meet the unique needs of the racial identity or the ethnic identity of young people. The other thing that I should say is that for boys and young men that are disconnected, that that number is around 11.9%. And then for young women, it's 11.1%. So the numbers are approximately the same, although I think there's a higher rate of disconnection for young boys. But again, it helps us keep in mind why targeting our approaches around gender and race are really critical. So a day in the life of a young person that we serve in our network, this young person might be again, a young male of color. He may be in an urban place, but again, part of why I walk through the demographics is to really highlight that our young men in tribal communities are disproportionately locked outside of opportunity in our country, that's really important to know that this young person could be an urban, rural, or tribal community. This young person, in in working to achieve a secondary credential, may have experienced barriers that, because of their lack of connection to broader networks, they were not able to mitigate. So for example, a young person may have experienced a family member who is sick and not able to necessarily provide for the family. They may experience a family member who's disconnected from the workforce, and so then provision becomes a challenge for the family. So because this young person is now being a caretaker for a sick family member or helping to provide resources for the family, this young person is not able to focus on school. And again, because of a lack of a broader network, is not able to connect to additional resources that may help them stay in school. The other challenge that a lot of young people experience, again, recently when I was in East rural Texas, I heard this, they may need additional learning supports that, that are key to helping them continue to complete a secondary credential and it's worth noting that many students need additional education supports but because of a lack of resources because of a lack of network because of how the policies in our schools function they're not able to tap into those resources or, or supports so that young person may leave school early and depending on where that young person lives they may not be able to immediately connect to an alternative path or an alternative program that can get them back on track to completing a secondary credential that young person may end up in a low-wage, low skilled job, and the cycle of not being able to complete their education and not gaining the education and training skills that are necessary to advance in the workforce and their careers may perpetuate a cycle of that young people being disconnected from opportunity. Our work is about how the city comes together, the community comes together to figure out what are the ways that we can identify the young people who are getting off track to completing a secondary credential, then how are we able to organize organize multiple paths for this young person to be able to stay on track that include not only multiple types of educational learning settings and opportunities, but that sort of support of the broader network for young people to be able to connect to food security, housing, healthcare, but the broader array of supports that our young people need to stay on track to completion. At the same time, what we know is that our young people need to both earn and learn. So part of the work of that collaborative is not just what are those academic programs, alternative academic programs, that we need to have in place. But how can we create training programs that actually help our young people earn money in real time so that they get the training that they need, they get the education that they need, and they also are able to gain money so that they can stay on this particular path to gaining a secondary and ultimately a post-secondary credential.
0: That's great, Monique. And so I hear loud and clear the importance of accounting for the geographic locale, the race and the gender of the young person, and this really important frame of accounting for the lack of economic access that young people may have to begin with in their home communities or in their particular families, and that must be contended with if we're to create multiple pathways and help them reconnect. So we heard from the perspective of a young person, but I appreciate you really grounding us in the fact that it's the systems that are meant to serve them that really require support, um, require uh, exposure to innovation and new ideas, as well as broader interconnected community to help advance certain solutions. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about what are some of the, Arguments that really bring city government or schools or workforce development boards or really critical actors to the table. Do you find that they are interested in helping address this issue and what are the things that really sway them.
1: It looks different in every place across the board when we really look at what helps others to come to the table. There is, over time, a shared understanding of the problem, and that usually starts with the data. So Philadelphia is a great example. Boston is another good example of communities that basically use the data to even tell the story to frame what the challenge is. And then I think that when you start talking about the private sector, for example, or in government, I think that... Framing the challenge is the beginning of bringing people to the table and, and helping to just provide a shared understanding of the challenge. But the other piece is helping them understand their role, you know, why this is so important to um, the work that they're doing, what the ROI is for them to come to the table, you know. So for the private sector, for business leaders, they understand that this is the future of their workforce and helping them to under, to see and to understand that by investing in the training and education of these young people, that has a bottom line for them as well not only are these the young people that they will need to hire in the future these are the young people that once they hire and they have the education and training in place and can continue to both upskill and advance in their careers as an employer over time they're able to actually not just save but they're able to I think really build economic success for the broader community and that they have a shared role to play in that and I would say the same thing is true for government partners as well you know for the mayor other local elected officials they're going to be developing a local economic strategy or a broader regional economic development strategy. And so to understand the key role that these young people play and not just how that strategy gets implemented, but the multi-generational success of that strategy. I think, you know, we've seen this from Mayor Marty Walsh in Boston who said, absolutely, I get this. This is the key to what we're doing. And it's incumbent upon us to plan for the future to invest in these young people now. So I would say that there's that piece of helping people to first understand the problem and then most importantly, to see themselves as a key player in driving toward the solutions. And that is as much a part of their agenda as it is a part of the community's agenda to invest in these young people. So that's a lot of how we've seen our grantees bring cross-system partners to the table. And I think even more critically, the type of success communities experience when
0: those partners really see themselves invested in the solutions. That's great. Can you talk a little bit about infrastructure needed to move a city and maybe share an example of a really great endeavor that really helped address and reconnect opportunity youth in a particular place? Like what comes to mind when you think about a really successful example of a city that got it right? Who were the players? What infrastructure was in place? What was the role of young people, of community organizing, of policy advocacy folks, of legislation that ensured success?
1: there are a couple of uh, different stories that I can lift up, but maybe the one really succinct story I can tell quickly is about the work in Boston, starting with the data. And actually, this was also an inside outside organizing strategy. Our partners, our community-based partners in Boston are the local Pick, and in addition to this. So that's the WIB. And then also we have worked closely with Boston Opportunity Agenda, which is a group of funders in Boston. But I think first and foremost, what we are talking about um, is- are The acronyms, if you could spell them out for folks. Yes thank you. um, In Boston it is the workforce board that is our grantee partner and in the Again, the Boston Opportunity Agenda is also our partner. They have a shared backbone role and support in this work. And it's a great example because it's both an inside and outside organizing strategy where they recognized that many young people were being left behind or being left out of both completing secondary credentials and then playing a viable role in the economic engine of the city. And so the leader organized a group of community members and decided that what they really wanted to do was first shine a spotlight on the number of young people who were not completing a secondary degree across the city of Boston and begin to organize a system to bring these young people back to complete a secondary credential and the inside outside organizing strategy was about creating so much pressure on the secondary system that the secondary system would have to figure out alternatives to educate these young people noting that the first time around the system didn't work effectively for them that plan worked perfectly. And I think what's really critical to note is that the re-engagement strategy, because you asked specifically about the role that young people played, the re-engagement strategy was comprised of young people themselves who may have dropped out of the system, returned and were able to complete a secondary credential. So essentially the young people from the same communities that look just like the young people who were now disconnected from education, their peers, were the ones who led the reengagement strategy. They were able to say, here's what I needed to return to school. Here's how come the person should look like me. Here's the type of peer support supports and cohort model that's necessary to help me strategically reengage. And here's how the broader wraparound supports need to look in order for me to be able to stay in school. So all of that was you've driven, you've fled, designed by young people and again led by young people to receive the impact that um, working in partnership with adults from different systems they were able to implement and put into place. The system said, wow, we need to figure out how to finance additional options for these young people. And so they got to work on building out essentially a second chance system for young people. That led to, but this is why Boston is called the birthplace of reengagement, because that reengagement strategy was born. They created the infrastructure to be able to serve many more young people who were dropping out of the system to get them back on path to a secondary credential. And at the same time, they also set up a reconnection center, which is about, if you now have a secondary credential, here's how you connect to post-secondary outcomes in addition to career careers as well. And I think your other story was about what does that infrastructure and capacity look like? A couple of notes on that. The first is that this is long-term work. You know, cities that have been able, any place that's been able to make progress on this agenda has been doing this work for 10 plus years. And it's a commitment to keeping those partners at the table for the long term. So I think when you're talking about this work, it has to live beyond an elected official. So while you want to engage the mayor and other elected officials, it really has to live in community so that over time, community partners can hold the work and be accountable to the work. That's what we've seen in Boston. The other piece I keep mentioning is the inside and outside organizing strategy. You have to be clear about the ways that you need the systems to move, and you have to have partners inside the system that are working on this agenda, in addition to partners outside of the system that can put pressure on the system to function in more equitable and just ways. And then the last piece that I would say is that it's also about lending and braiding funding. That's the other piece about the infrastructure and capacity. While you can get private investment to pilot programs to be able to demonstrate what works effectively, you have to, at the same time, be able to braid public dollars into this work so that the work is both owned by public systems and sustained over time as well. So those are just some of the key factors that we've seen work successfully and not just building the infrastructure and capacity to do this work, but the long-term commitment to getting to outcomes for this work as well.
0: That's fantastic. Can you share just a little bit about what's keeping you up at night in regards to this work, or what are you really excited about as opportunities moving forward?
1: We are doubling down on thanks to support from Andrus. We are doubling down on healing-centered engagement that is really at its core supporting youth organizing. We are right now in real time, thanks to the work of my esteemed colleague, Elena Nimoy and Jamil Alexander. They are working with partners across the field, especially young people themselves, to co-design a framework that looks at how you integrate healing-centered engagement into youth organizing. So that's something that we look forward to rolling out later this year and in 2020 at our Bay Area convening in May. And we're really excited for what that will mean for the field. At the same time, we are also co-designing a justice initiative that's really aimed at ending mass incarceration that specifically has a focus on young adults in addition to focus on the adult population. And it looks at everything from pre-incarceration, both policy and programming, to incarceration supports, to returning citizens and what it means to really support young adults and adults successfully to return. So that's really exciting. And, And again, we are working on how to intersect all of these different bodies of work. At the same time, we're working on a post-secondary strategy that is really meaningful in terms of how do we look at the advocacy piece, the removal of system barriers and the financing streams that are necessary to especially prioritize outcomes, not just for opportunity youth, but that whole lens focus on racial equity and gender equity as well. So that's also really exciting. So when I say that not only do we have a lot going on, I think our work holds a lot of promise in the sense of ensuring that these are not one off projects, but they are all integrated to achieve the promise of impact that they hold.
0: That's powerful. I wanna give a shout out to one of our grantee partners at Communities United based Mm. out of Chicago who have spent some time really thinking about their organizing platform and their practices and leadership development internally with youth where they're calling for divestment from these punitive systems, divestment from incarceration and over-policing, and instead using the public resources to meet the needs of the community in real time, accounting for what you mentioned before, the historical trauma and the lack of access that many communities have had, to really begin to rebuild and take care of communities and make sure that healing includes access to housing and food, just as you mentioned, access to education, reimagining how to use public space, but really meeting the needs that are there instead of punishing for the lack of the resource at the onset. What are you worried about? What keeps you up at night in regards to this work? Well, if I
1: may, a person that has been elected into the White House that I think is really at the forefront of deepening racial divides across our country and limiting opportunity In our country and especially for young people and groups that are undocumented or working on the process to citizenship and not only belong in this country but are really key to this country becoming its best self so it feels like we're trying to do our work in real time that is about system change and is about narrative change while we are working under a person who is leading our country, whose agenda is in every level at odds with the work that we are trying to do. And not only Does it really hurt your heart? Think about what's happening to families, to young people, to see pictures in the news of people who are trying to come into this country and what's happening to them. It feels like one of the greatest civil rights fight of our time. And it's just key to who our country is. You know, I I will say this emphatically every time. The only natives to this country are Native Americans. Every other group, with the exception of African-Americans, have immigrated into this country. And it's what makes this country great. So what keeps me up at night and what worries me is the ways that racial division in our country are not only growing, but how groups are being not just targeted, but marginalized and and I think being robbed of their humanity. And not only does it keep me up at night, but I want to ensure that from immigration to crimmigration to justice reform, we are doing everything in our power to support our communities, to achieve the vision that they hold for supporting young people across all of these different groups, to hone and access the power that is theirs, to fight for the changes that our country desperately needs to see in our lifetime.
0: I appreciate that, Monique, particularly because your organization is really espousing an approach that connects the dots between all of these movements and all of these issues, because it is one young person impacted by multiple systems at the same time, living life, trying to access additional opportunity and create a positive, sustainable life. And so it is all hands on deck, all movements. Black and brown solidarity, I really appreciate how you were able to connect all of the issues. Sometimes, you know, in philanthropy world, we we fund in silos, but I think one of the most powerful things about our partners is that they do connect the dots, and you just did that beautifully. Do you have any advice you want to leave your fellow colleagues doing work to connect opportunity youth or support young people to get on the path to strong education and economic access and, and careers?
1: right now it feels unprecedented in terms of the attack on our rights on our values on our humanity black and brown humanity and so i just i want to encourage everyone in this sector to I, I to, to be encouraged, you know, James Foreman Jr.'s father, you know, fought in the civil rights movement. And one of the things he said that stayed with me was he said that, you know, his father had this great legacy and he was so excited to step into it. And he went to law school and he had started his own journey towards civil rights. And then the beating of Rodney King happened. And he, mm. and he couldn't believe that it happened. And he was so angry and he was so frustrated. And so he told his father that he was done. He wasn't going to do this civil rights work anymore. And he said, his father said to him, do you think that that when we fought in the civil rights movement that we thought, well, we marched, now our work is done, or we got the Civil Rights Act of, uh, approved, now our work is done? No, we understood that every generation would have to fight some of our fight and fight some new fights. And that that was... What our work was fundamentally about. It was making sure that the next generation understood the challenges and had the infrastructure capacity to build on what we did and to also make sure that they establish new ways of creating greater access, creating greater opportunity, creating greater, greater equity, because we are in the midst of our fight and we are all on the right side of the history of this country. So to just be encouraged.
0: Thank you, Monique, for your phenomenal work and all of the love to you and Steve and Yelena and the rest of the team. Thanks so much for joining us. To you,
1: Manuela, and to your team as well. Thank you so much.
0: Take care.